Amen. Uh, it is with uh, mixed feelings that I announce to you that we have uh, hired Josh's replacement. Josh and Krista, as you know, Josh's last Sunday is August the 4th, and at that time uh, they are going to focus full-time on preparing their family to go to language school uh, in Costa Rica, and they'll be moving on, and so we've been in the process of seeking a replacement. You met them last week, if you were here, they did the, uh, the offertory and sang for us, and uh, we want to make sure that you knew who they were, because he will be back next week, his family will be in town both uh, looking for a house but Josh is going to be out of town, and so uh, his name is Josh, Josh and Mariah Huff. Uh, they have three little children, uh, Karis, Selah, and Trinity, uh, and they will be coming to us, and they will be leading our worship. He will be leading our worship next week, and so as we put them before you, you should know who they are as we continue to pray for Josh and Krista as they come to the end of their fundraising as God is bringing things in. We need to pray that God will sell their house and provide their money and prepare them for all that he has before them. So we come to the word this morning. As I said, I don't always preach the Hallmark holidays. I didn't really preach Mother's Day, so you may not feel it's fair that I preach today. I don't know, but I will speak for a great part of the sermon to all of us from the scripture, husbands and wives, and then I'm going to narrow in just briefly on husbands and some of the calling that we have. So as we come to God's word this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 33. I'd really like to read the whole book, (laughs) because context is so important as we talk about these things. But I'm going to start in verse 15, I'm going to read through verse 33 of Ephesians chapter 5. Hear then the word of God. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, and therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so do not be drunk with wine, but that is, for that is debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make, making melody together. To the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we're members of his body, therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and he will hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let every one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Pray with me. 
Father in heaven, we come before you looking into this great mystery of how Jesus has loved his church. And how as we talk about marriages and families and homes, that they are a picture of this great, eternal, everlasting, covenantal love that Christ has poured out on us as people, his own body. Father, as we explore these things, would you open our hearts and our minds that we might be brought in heart, soul, mind, and strength to a life that is worthy of the calling that we have received. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that the secret to a godly marriage and to godly parenting, and as we think of Father's Days, I think of, when I think of fathers, I think of husbands, and when I think of uh, husbands, I think of our marriages, and I believe the best gift you can give to your children is a strong and godly marriage. And I believe the secret to a godly and strong marriage and to therefore parenting is for us to see our marriages and to see our parenting as basic Christian discipleship, as discipleship 101, as a place where discipleship begins, right? As basic Christian discipleship is to see our home life at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, right? To think of your home life. Where you live, where you go home to, those hours that you spend with family, at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus or to fail to follow Jesus. Because our marriages and our families are nothing more than following Jesus at home. Honoring God in the way that we're married. Honoring God in the way that we do relationship. Honoring God in the way that we raise our children. Following Jesus and, and by being His people at the inner sanctum of our home. See, the enemy wants to deceive us, and the enemy often will, will convince some of us to think that if I'm well-liked at work, or I'm well-thought-of at church, then all is well and good. But the real gauge of our spiritual maturity, the real gauge of our spiritual health, if you want to know if you're spiritually mature, if you're doing it right, and the real gauge of you, even our own personal spiritual health, is who we are at home. Who we are when no one else sees us but our children and our spouse. Who you are when no one is looking except them. And what I want to do this morning here at the beginning is to play MapQuest for a minute. Uh, Everybody does MapQuest, right? This week I had to go visit someone, didn't know where they lived, so I pulled it up, put the street address in, MapQuest, hit go, and it pulls up the street. You know, there it is. But the thing is, when it first pulls it up, at least locally, when I'm looking at it, it shows the street in like the two or three streets that it's off of. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, okay, now where is that? <laughs> you know, what street is that off of? Is that, is that in North Chattanooga? Is that over in Saudi? Is that over in Harrison? So I, what you do is my, my mouse has a little scroll button on it, and you may just use the plus and minuses, but you've got to scroll out and say, okay, that's to the right of 153 and to, to uh, you know, above Hicks and Pike, all right, I have to turn off here to get to that neighborhood. In other words, you need the bigger picture. You've got to scroll back to know where that street is, even in Chattanooga, unless you knew it automatically. I had to look it up because I didn't know it. That's the point. You've got to scroll back and see where does it sit in the lay of, in the, lay of the land. And we need to do that as we look at Scripture, as we come to this text this, everybody who goes to preach on marriage and, and family goes to this passage here in, Matthew, in uh, Ephesians 5, 22 and following. 
But I believe as you, you know, we kind of do that this morning, we plug in, we're going to talk about husbands and fathers, and so we pull up the thing, and now what I want to do is just scroll back for a minute. How, do, how does this fit in the lay of the land? I wish I could read chapters 1 to 3. Because Ephesians, as many of you know, is six chapters and it's almost perfectly divided, at least as chapters go. Chapters 1 to 3 are all doctrine. They're all indicatives. They're all statements telling us. It's all gospel. Who God is and what God has done for us. Right? It begins by talking about before the foundations of the world, how God has loved us and chosen us in Christ and has sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, which we preached out of last week, which said that when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, you know, really dead, 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 He made us alive in Christ. And it's by grace that we have been saved. In chapter 3, He says that we need to, to, to know and to plumb the depth, how wide and deep and long and high is the love that God has for us in Christ. And then in chapters 4 to 6, are one big therefore. Right? You've got to read chapters 1 to 3 to get the full lay of the land and what God is doing. And then 4 to 6 is a big therefore. The, the, the whole thing in chapter 4 is the first command that we get in the, uh, in the entire book. And he says, therefore, chapter 4 verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy. To walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling which you have been called. Right? Verse 1, walk worthy. And the next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, are all about walking worthy. They're all about applying chapters 1 and 3 and what it means to be God's people from all eternity, made alive in Christ, plumbing the depths of His love. Now so what? And so he, in 4 to 6, he, just, he takes this out, walk worthy of the calling. Verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, no longer walk as Gentiles. And he talks about what that looks like. In verse 25 of chapter 4, he says, therefore, don't lie anymore. Don't, don't speak falsehood to each other anymore. Don't get angry. Don't steal. Watch what we say with our mouths and make sure we're speaking as, as God's people. In verse 30 of chapter 4, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Right? Hone in there on chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 31, he says, therefore you've got to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and put it away from you along with all malice. Because that is grieving to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, right? Live out the gospel where we fail to do all those things that he's been saying in chapter 4. He says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Right? As you confess to Him and seek His mercy and He is gracious and kind day by day that His mercies are new every morning. Right? He says, you as His people, Right? Forgive one another. Seek forgiveness from one another and, and offer it freely and graciously even as we do in our relationship with Christ. And then in chapter 5, he says, Therefore, another, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly, dearly beloved children. Isn't that the same as chapter 4, verse 1? Therefore, walk worthy of the Lord. In chapter 5, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as His dearly beloved children. Isn't that the same thing as walking worthy of the Lord? In verse 2, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice. I want you to notice how verse 2 and verse 25 
mirror each other. Right? Look at those verses. Two, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us. Gave himself for us. Verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved us, the church, and gave himself for us. Right? When he gets to verse 25, he's just applying verse 2. Right? Verses 22 to 25 are applying chapters 4 and 5 to marriage. Right? He says, walk in love in verse 2. In verse 8, he says, walk as children of the light. And he talks about that in verse 15. He says, look carefully how you walk. In verse 18, he says, be full of the Holy Spirit. Right? I want us to see that when Paul gets to marriage in chapter 5, verse 22, because too often we just take a, you know, and cut that out and talk about that and then put it back and never see. I want us to see when Paul gets to chapter 5, verse 22, and he's talking about marriage, he's not changing the subject. It's not, you know, now for something completely different. You know, we'll talk about marriage. He's not changing the subject. He's been describing the deep and transforming work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. He's he's describing the deep and transforming work of the sealing and life-transforming power of the Spirit in in someone who has experienced chapters 1 to 3. And then he hones in and he does say, now our marriages, our families, this, this inner sanctum of our lives is a very important application of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is where, of all places, it's to be lived out. Everything he said in these two chapters, he says, okay, now when you go home, wives, husbands, Make sure you live this out, right? And virtually every commentator, if you, you know the chapter markings are, are artificial. They were added later. And the uh, little titles, like verse 22, right over mine, there's a little gap, a new paragraph, and it says wives and husbands, a little title. You know, all of that is artificial. In the original text, there were no titles. There were no verse markings. And there were no gaps in the text. It was a flow. And every commentator points out that, that this is a really artificial gap. Everybody says that when he says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, that that, that is the lead-in to what he is saying. Submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. But as soon as you do that, you notice that verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, is the end of a very long sentence. Right, it's a phrase that started back in verse 18. Right, so that's an interesting sentence leading into marriage then. And he leads into marriage this way. And, and therefore, do not get drunk on wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to, uh, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And if you're paying attention, 18, where this all starts, flows out of verse 17. They're parallel verses. 17, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says, don't be drunk on wine, which is foolish, but rather, rather know what the Lord's will is. It is be full of His Spirit. And verse 17 starts with the word, therefore which connects you back to the passage. It flows out of what came. Do you see that 
if, if, if 17 flows from 16 and what is before it, and 17 flows into 18, and 18 is a long sentence that ends in a phrase that leads into this passage on marriage, we, you must pull it all together. In other words, he's speaking to husbands and wives throughout the whole thing. What am I, what am I saying? I, I want us to not see marriage as something separate from normal Christian life. Right? If you're married, it, your marriage is normal Christian life. Or it's supposed to be. Just one place or the core place and where all of the commands of Christ are applied and lived out in their fullness. Right? To submit to one another in verse 21 out of reverence for Christ. See, that's a matter of general discipleship. All of us, you know, it's a command to all of us to submit to one another. And we submit to one another by obeying all those commands that came before. In fact, that's the summary of all the commands. Out of reverence for Christ, out of a, out of a matter of love and worship to Jesus, we, we put aside all anger and bitterness and submit to each other. That way we are kind and tender-hearted toward each other. We, we forgive one another. We, we live out the gospel with each other. That's how we submit to one another, is that we, that we follow Christ in our relationships. And so before one command is specifically spoken into our marriages, right, He speaks to us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. A lot of my marriage counseling, I'll tell you, is again and again, is convincing people that they have to follow Jesus at home. A lot of it is just convincing people, okay, here are the options, right? Here's what Jesus commands. Here are all the commands of Scripture, you know. And here's your marriage. Do it at home. Do it with your wife. Do it with your husband. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be kind and tender-hearted. Forgive one another. Stop lying to each other. Stop deceiving each other. Stop, you know, stop doing all of those things that, that Paul makes so clear through this whole thing that, that what it means to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you do marriage. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way we relate to each other. Therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God as His beloved children at home. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us at home. Right? Families is the central place of discipleship. A discipleship that swallows every aspect of our entire lives. Right, so he speaks to you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. And then he says, and now when you go home, you know, all we do is we do all of this. And then he speaks in, and he does speak some specific words to us. But we're never less than fully Christian at home. But there are some extra and specific things that he speaks into us. Right? And so I want to just talk about three specific words that he speaks to husbands and fathers. He says to lead. He says to nourish, and he says to cherish. Right? When he says to lead, you know, where do we get that? Well, verses 22 to 24, strictly speaking, are spoken to wives. The first commands that follow as we submit to one another is wives submit, he says, to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body. 
Right, so the first command is to wives, and we see it as he sums up at the end in verse 33, summing up this, speaking into our marriages, he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself, that's the summary of the command of the husband, and then to the wife, let the wife see that she respects her husband, summarizing verses 22 to 24. And let me say to wives first, that you are to do this, out of reverence for Christ. Right? That is the motive that He gives us in any submission, any service, the obedience to any command that He calls us to in our marriage or out of our marriage. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so as He begins to speak to wives, He says, and He says implied, and that is in to do this out of reverence for Christ. And Why is that important? Well, it's important because all of God's commands to us are to us no matter what anybody else does. Too often I see in marriages as much as anywhere else that we blame the other person for the fact that I'm not obeying Jesus. Well, it's her fault she made me mad. Well, it's her fault she's not respecting me the way she's supposed to. Well, it's her fault or it's his fault because he's not doing this. Well, it's his fault because he's not doing this. And so we blame each other for not following Jesus. But, but we are always, each and every one of us, is responsible to Christ for our own life of obedience, for our own calling. So when he says, do this, we do it not because the person deserves it, not because the person is doing this first or that. We don't do it pro quid pro or whatever, pro quid, you know. We don't do it tit for tat. We don't do it, you know, answering in kind. We, we don't answer in kind. We don't return evil for evil. We don't we do what we are called to do because Jesus is a calling on you. And when he says, do this, you do it. No matter what he does, no matter what she does. You do it out of reverence for Jesus Christ because you are before anything else, his follower. Right? That's what this passage is. It's all about being imitators of God no matter what anybody else does. But I would also say this, the qualification given in chapter 6 as he speaks to children applies to wives. When he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. <clears throat> that qualification comes home and I believe applies to wives as well. In other words, wives, as he says, that submit to your own husbands in the Lord. It's a safety thing. In other words, you do not have to submit to anything illegal, anything immoral, anything unchristian. Anything that is not in the Lord that does not honor Him and that does not please Him. And where those struggles come in, if we are having difficulty living these things out, I would also say this, seek out counseling and seek out a pastor, seek out a couple, seek out someone who can speak objectively into your marriage. If you guys are, if you have found out that you're having trouble communicating, that you're, that you're not hearing each other anymore, that you're not solving the problems anymore, that, that something is going on there, in Matthew 18 it says that if someone sins against you, like if you haven't resolved it, you go and talk to them. And if, you, and if they listen, you've won, you've won your brother, you've won your sister. Right? And that's true in a marriage. Tell them if they've hurt you. He says, forgiving one another is Christ, has, as, in, as God in Christ has forgiven us. And so we live this gospel where if we're hurt, we talk to one another. And if we've, you know, we confess our sins to one another, but we definitely come. But it says, if they will not hear you. Go and bring one or two others. 
that it may be established in that context. And maybe, and I think that's the foundations of Christian counseling, you know, of accountability, that if we are not able to communicate together, then bring somebody in. And I believe the biggest mistake as I sit with couples year after year, year after year, is that they wait too long to go to step two and to get someone to speak into their marriage objectively. Because we are too sure of ourselves. And we are so sure that it's their fault. And we, we need someone to speak into the life of our marriage. The life of our marriage. We wait too long. That's a side note. But here we go then, back into 22 and 23. <clears throat> as, as we're looking at this, it is a command to the wives, but it definitely speaks to the husband, doesn't it? Right, it's a command for the, the wife to submit as to uh, the head, as Christ is the head of his church. So if the wife is to submit to the husband as the head, it's saying, husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. Right, there's some significant things about the husband's role in the life of a marriage. The mistake that men often make as we look at this, though, is that we focus on the words, verse 22, submit. Right? Admit it. Isn't that the word you like in that whole thing? Men tend to go there and begin to misapply and go all kinds of places with that word if they misunderstand. Where I think in that text, because the word submit isn't spoken to you, husbands, and isn't spoken to you to enforce. Each of us answers to the Lord for ourselves. So that's not about you. But it says submit to you as, and here's where in those words, the mistakes are made when we focus on that word and not on the words that are to us, which are, verse 22, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of his church, his body, as himself its savior. Now that's the part that's to you. Head. As Christ is head and savior, right? Lover of our souls. Too often if we focus on the word submit, we think headship gives us the right to all kinds of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, we think it gives us the right to lord it over, to be takers. We think it gives us the right to be selfish, to step aside and to be lazy or to be controlling. And, you know, it gives us the right basically to do anything that we want. Which is not at all. Again, if you read chapters 4 to 6, and Christ speaks to you husbands first as a follower of Jesus. We cannot step into that verse and start reading all kinds of things in there to ourselves to feed our selfishness. <clears throat> Every, everything that Paul has said up to this moment has to be read into that verse. As we love, as Christ has loved. But men take it to demand special privileges to be left alone, to play, to expect compliance from everyone, to just do whatever I say, no matter how good or right or helpful it is. But the statement is about husbands taking leadership in the life of the home. That's what it's about. Men take it often, they focus on the word submit, to absent themselves from leadership. To not have to take leadership, right? To, to step out of the leadership role. When it's actually a statement to call us to leadership like Jesus. See, it's parallel to Jesus' own headship, right? Husbands are head of his wife as Christ is head of his own body, 
over whom he is the Savior. Right? And they're parallel. And so the statement to us is to be as Christ in the home. As Christ is in the church. It's a powerful, it is a humbling, it is a a, a scary thing to say. God is saying, Christ is saying that you are His representative, so to speak, in the home. And you are to be to your family as He is to the church. Husband, you are to be to, to your wife as Jesus is to His own body in the church. And so two things we can't forget then as we think about this whole idea is number one, we can't forget how Jesus loves and leads his body. Because you have to say, what I'm doing in the house, the attitudes I'm copying, you know, the, the behaviors I'm adopting, the things I'm demanding, the way that I'm behaving, you have to say, is this the way Jesus loves and leads his church? Because he puts it parallel. Right? And the second thing is that, that when we think about leadership in the home, we have to bring in everything that Jesus has taught us about leadership about headship, about, about having power, about having leadership. It's there in your bulletin, Matthew 20, 25 to 26. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise it, authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. And you who represent Christ are parallel to Christ in the family. It shall not be so among you. Right? We have to understand Jesus' concept of leadership being read into all the leadership, particularly when he says, you're like me. Again, when he says that our headship is parallel to his, he does it in this passage, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be a servant. Even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. That's Jesus' leadership. Jesus has all power. What does he do with it? See, it says a lot about a person is what they do with power. If we use the power for ourselves and to basically feed our selfish desires and lifestyle, or whether we use that power to love and bless others. Jesus has placed you in a position to give you incredible and inordinate power and influence over the life of a woman and, and children. There is no more influential position, I think, on the planet of positions of power and influence, there's no more significant position on the planet. A husband's headship is like Christ, who is Savior of the body. Brothers, being a head like our Savior means that we are responsible before God for the shape of our marriage. It means that like Christ, we take spiritual leadership. And for some of us, that's intimidating, and I understand that. But I would think that spiritual leadership, and when I say all of that, you know, where, where do we start? Because it can become very intimidating. And I think that the answer for it is it simply is this. It's spiritual leadership begins with you following Jesus. You following Jesus. Again, I say, I think the key to our marriages, the key to being the man that God wants us to be or the woman that God wants us to be in the marriage, the key is following Christ in our basic discipleship, right? Spiritual leadership begins by taking your own personal Christian discipleship seriously. Your family needs a husband and a father who is personally engaged in pursuing Christ. More than anything else that your family needs, it needs a husband and a father who's personally engaged in following Christ, seeking God. 
There's no greater gift that you can give to your wife. There's no greater gift that you can give to your children than your own thriving relationship with Christ. Someone who is kind and tender-hearted and forgiving one another as God forgave you, who is an imitator of God, as a beloved child who's walking in love and so is putting aside sexual immorality, is not grieving the Spirit in His behavior, but is full of the Holy Spirit and full of worship and love to God and so love to His family, is full and resourced to love His family the way God calls Him to because He's full and resourced by the Savior who loves Him first the way He's supposed to love her. And it says we're loved first by Christ, that we're full of His Spirit, and that we're enabled to do what He calls us to do, to be the man that He calls us to be. If you're trying to be God's man in the home and you're not walking closely with Jesus, you're going to struggle at best and fail at worst. Every Christian man should be able to simply say to his wife and to his kids, follow me as I follow Jesus. I may be one step ahead of you. I may not even be ahead of you. I may be just pointing in the right direction. But follow me because I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, I know it can be intimidating. Some husbands or wives have been Christians longer than they have or they grew up, their wives grew up in Christian families. I know sometimes you might even have a father-in-law who's a pastor or something like that. And that can be, that can be intimidating here's the thing. Let me set you free from all of that. A husband doesn't have to be more spiritually mature. He doesn't have to know more. He doesn't have to be significantly further down the road than his wife or his children. It simply means you need to get out front and take your own spiritual life seriously and to call them to follow you. That means being in church and being under the teaching of God's Word. It means being connected in fellowship and in relationship in small groups where I'm discipled and I'm growing and I'm accountable. It means, you know, it means being hungry and thirsty for the things that concern our spiritual lives. You can be a new Christian and still take point. Right? Take, taking point, I've used that illustration before, it's a military picture just of, a, of the guy who's out front. You know, you might have a company of men and you say, all right, you take point. And that means you go out there and lead the way. Watch out for the booby traps. Watch out for the enemy. Look out for the ways. Make sure that we stay on the right path. Just get out front and make sure that we go down the right path, not into ambushes, not into danger, not into these things. You get out there and just lead the rest of us. And man, that's your job. Get out front. You be the one to say we're going to church. We're getting in a small group. We're going to take advantage of these things that, that for spiritual life and spiritual growth. You know, we're going to spend time as a family doing this. We're going to spend time doing this. You know, it, it's a tragedy when a woman has to drag her man after Jesus. To drag her man to church or to drag her man into, come on, let's get involved in something. You know, to drag, it's a tragedy when a woman has to take point and to beg her husband to grow, to beg her husband to pursue Jesus. I think as much as anything what this means is for a husband needs to love Christ so that his husband can love his wife like Christ loves us. You know, I've wrestled with this. I'm just going to lead you with the nourish and cherish and let you unpack it because 
One day like today, there's, this should be a series of three sermons, but I'm going to say this. You know, when, and here it says, husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he goes on to this magisterial passage, right, about how he gave himself up for her. And he, and he purchased her and he washed her with the renewing of the word. And he sanctifies her and he offers her to himself with splendor as a perfect bride. And, you know, you read this magisterial passage and you say, well, what does that look like? I don't know how to do that. Jesus, in fact, I can't do that. Only, only Jesus can do that. And I want you to notice as we leave what Paul says in verse 28. Because this is him applying that. He doesn't leave it to us to figure out what it means. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it as Christ does the church to nourish, and to cherish is what Jesus does with the church and it's what we do at home as men, as leaders, right? In parallel with Christ and only by the power and the grace that He provides, our job is to genuinely and seriously pursue a growing relationship with Jesus. Our job is to be present in the life of the family simply saying, Jesus and spiritual life are this way. And our job is to nourish and to cherish our wives. To take responsibility. Like Christ does for us. That we feel secure. That we feel loved. That we feel valued. Right? That He gives Himself for us in ways that make us know. And to feel. And to live under the bounty of His Lordship. There's no better place to be. We need to be men so that our wives would say there's no better place to be. Lead, nourish, cherish. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess as we talk about these things that your calling is always a high calling. Your calling is always above our ability to live it. You call us to supernatural things. You call us to amazing things. But Father, do not let us make excuses. Let us bow the knee and cry out for the grace the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be full of your song, that our hearts would be full of your worship, that we would go home and never be less than fully Christian as we love and serve each other out of reverence for Christ, in whose name we pray and ask. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing, I think for husbands, for wives, in the end, all that really matters is that our lives become a prayer to Him. What else would we live for? In the house or out of the house? All that really matters is following Jesus, the honor and glory of His name. And now may God Himself, He who is the God of peace, may He sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of Christ. The God who calls you is a faithful God and He must do it. And you must stay close to Him for the fullness of His Spirit that you too might walk worthy of the calling you have received. Go in that grace and in that power. Amen.